Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy. I'm Amy McPhee Olibest. Today we're going to start with a short quote from the 19th century. And listeners, I want you to listen to this quote and then think of who you think said it. It was either Confederate leader Robert E. Lee or prophet and leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, Brigham Young. The quote is, I am a firm believer in slavery. So who said that quote? The answer is Brigham Young. And the college I attended for my undergraduate degree, Brigham Young University, or BYU, was named after him. So a couple of months ago, members of the Black Student Union at BYU started taking a microphone around campus to ask this question and many other questions to random students on campus and sometimes professors. And they would ask a simple question each time and let the person answer honestly without arguing or making much comment at all, just letting the person's answers stand on their own. So they posted these videos on TikTok and they almost instantly went viral with many videos getting millions and millions of views. They called themselves the Black Menaces. And today I'm thrilled to be joined by two members of the Black Menaces, Sebastian Stewart Johnson and Kylie Shepard. Welcome to Breaking Down Patriarchy, Kylie and Sebastian. Hi. Thank you for having us. We're so excited. I'm super, super excited to talk to you today. And I'm wondering if we could just start out with just a brief introduction, say your name and what uh, year you are in school, your major, and just anything else that you think is relevant about you. And we'll start with you, Kylie. I am a, well, I just finished out my junior year. I'm a psychology major with hopes of being something in psychology. I haven't decided yet. I kind of want to be a teacher, so we'll see. I'm from California originally. That's about it. That's a basic introduction of who I am. Awesome. I'm Sebastian. I am now a junior at Brigham Young University. I'm a political science major, hopes to be a lawyer and a politician from Dallas, Texas originally. So yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, so excited to get to know you more. Um, So I'm going to start out also with another question that you sometimes ask on your videos, (laughs) which is... If you can think of a favorite thing about BYU, or it doesn't have to be like your definitive favorite, but just something that you do like about BYU, and then something that's been challenging at BYU. Um, <laughs> I think my favorite thing, honestly, especially with um, being a psychology major, I know a lot of people struggle with ha- like having a faith in God and then psychology just because like there's like nature versus nurture and like do we really have a choice in things I think I kind of like the connection that BYU gives of like a church school but like in my psychology classes we never really talk about the church it's a really weird like balance of things but I think having the option to like relate it back to God and kind of make those connections makes it easier for me to have faith and learn about psychology I think a hard thing, obviously, just being a black woman, trying to navigate who I am on campus and like kind of coming into my black identity continuously. It's almost like an everyday thing for me. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say my favorite thing at BYU are my friends, the people that do black ministries with us, and then also the Primarily, there's like the black students at BYU that I'm really close to. It's a good handful or a few handfuls that I'm super, super close to. They make it 
worthwhile for me. They help me continue on every day. One of the things that is harder for me, I would say, is like having the ideologies that I do, like, and that can be in regard to like political things or societal issues. And then being at BYU, where I know most of my peers do not agree with me, especially since I'm a political science major, we talk about it very often. So hearing things that, in my opinion, can like contradict the human rights of a person or whether that, that can span so many issues, but that's difficult because that can go like with issues regarding the black community or with women or the queer community and a lot of things that I'm very passionate about. Great. Thanks so much. Okay. Really quick. Tell us how Black Menaces started. Yeah. So I had got the idea originally in, it was really just to like showcase what we lived through at BYU. Most people don't know. And we constantly have been telling the administration for years, our story, hopefully like, and they would ask like, oh, we want to hear you, but they wouldn't make any changes in regard to what we tell them about our, the racism and the sexism for the women or whatever it is. And so um, it was really like a culmination of all those feelings. And we came with it and I said, we should make a TikTok to highlight what we go through, but kind of in like a, like a, a satirical way almost. But then we, it, it formed into something much greater than we ever thought it could be something that we can really highlight on a mass scale like and you can laugh with it but also you know like these are pressing issues so it really was like the culmination of all our pains and feelings in a way that we wanted to highlight and how the whole world somehow has seen it so <laughs> so another question kind of about the formation who's your intended audience and were you really clear about that when you started it I don't think so <clears throat> like as into like are were we clear on who we wanted to listen I think it was more I still even think it is this it's more just anyone who's willing to listen and I think we all have something to learn even if you are black or even if you are part of a minority there is something you can learn Mm -hmm. so I think that's kind of our yeah I would say that's our target audience right yeah I think with that too is like obviously like like she said like just echoing what she said like everybody will listen and then specifically now we're focusing a lot on like predominantly white institutions or universities are majority white. So most of them. And so we're focusing on those to make those spaces more equitable and equal and inclusive um, much more than they are right now, because there's millions of marginalized students that feel unincluded and, and lack equity, et cetera. And so that, that is kind of like our, that's what we want to change in our target audience is If you're going to listen, please listen and get ready to push a little bit harder so we can make some real change. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Okay. So two questions. The first is how has this project impacted you personally? And then what impact do you think it has had on BYU? Maybe as an institution, or you could think of like personally on students at BYU. You could answer that however you want, but you personally, and then BYU. I think for me, it's kind of showed me that I can speak out more I'm not a very frontline protester, I guess. I don't like confrontation if I can avoid it. And I'd rather just like roll my eyes and walk away, which isn't the best at times. Um, So I think it's kind of showed me that it's okay to be who I am and then be confident about it and then talk about the issues that I face on campus or even just outside of campus in Utah even. 
I think for the students, I think it's kind of started a conversation. Even if they don't like us, at least they're talking about us. Right. Um, I think it makes people realize some of the biases or the, I don't know how to phrase it, biases that they may have and or questions that they don't think about. I mean, they always are like, hmm, um, I've never thought about that. Like, yeah, that's called privilege. And that's great that you've never had to think about it. But it, it's okay for you to start thinking about it now and accept that you don't have to think about that because of the color of your skin or because of your sexual orientation, like the little things like that. Yeah, I super agree with what she said. I love it. Something that I felt a lot this, this last few months is a gratitude. I felt a lot of gratitude for the way that we've been able to vocalize ourselves and show people, um, for the people at BYU who have spoken up in support of us. And then also just like the ability that we have to show the experience of so many students across the nation. Like it's crazy how many students that go to different PWIs, predominantly white institutions across the nation who have been like, wow, like this shows exactly what I feel. And I think that's very beautiful. And I'm very grateful to be able to highlight that for them. So we talked a little bit about how it impacted you. How has it impacted BYU? Have you heard anything from the administration at all? Or we haven't heard anything directly from the administration as of yet. We've heard like little things from through the grapevine, more rumors than like solid truth. Um, but we haven't heard anything directly. We're hoping to start meeting with them, like as the Black Menaces, to hope to work to make some change on campus that's like systemic change, mm-hmm. real change, and use the platform that we have and, and the ability to, you know, the, the awareness that we've that we've highlighted to push that change a little bit further, but we've, we haven't heard anything from them. Okay. And then what has been the reaction of, you know, the broader public? What are some positive things you've heard? Like maybe if you can think of some specific examples, one or two, and then if you've had any negative reception, <laughs> what does that look like specifically? Um, let's start with the negative because we can end on a positive. Um, somebody just made a video of us recently comparing us to like the adversary which is basically satan like the bad things in your life and that kind of hurt my feelings but we have a lot of people who i mean we don't even ever say our opinion which is my favorite part and people assume they know exactly what we think or if we or they just assume that we didn't have to think about the questions Mm -hmm. we were asking like a lot of the questions we ask we might not all agree or we might have to take a step back and think about it and really reflect on why we think the way we do or what our answer is and all of those things but we definitely have our fair share of haters who love to post about us on instagram and twitter um and they just say that i love i think i just saw a comment recently that we ask racist questions and i thought that was hilarious because i think a simple question the questions we ask aren't racist, it's the responses. So it's like, but then you have these, usually it's white men, not to throw down white men, but usually it's white men who are like, these are racist questions. And it's like, if you think that's a racist question, then you're agreeing that the response that was given is racist. So they just kind of flip it and like, they're like almost there, but they're not. And I think it's kind of funny. Um, I think Sebastian reads the comments more than I do because I get my feelings hurt. So... <laughs> Yeah, I honestly, I think all the hate is funny, almost. And I, I post about it, actually, because I'm like, okay, you want to you wanna talk? I can talk. You know what I mean? Really? Like, I, I like the- them? 
I do read some of them. Um, oh it depends on my mental strength for the day. <laughs> but um, I don't argue back to them because I, I, most of the time, I don't really have the energy. But another one, man, there's so many. I'm going to go on the positive. You can read our comments if you want to see the negative. On some positive, one time this girl came up to me in another Black Menace and, like, started crying, basically, um, because she was so grateful for, like, what we were doing on campus and, like, mm. how we were able to, like, push her story and and things like that. So there's a lot of beautiful moments with people when they come up to us, like, because people ha- are bold when they come up to us. It's hard to come up to random people that you don't know, that you are TikTok famous, mm-hmm. um, and they come up to us very, like, openly and talk about what they think and feel and their gratitude. And that's something that I am forever grateful for. So Hmm, that's awesome. I I think a positive for me is kind of within my own like personal life. So I'm biracial. So my mom is white and like my grandparents and everything. And I think like I have been talking about my experiences at BYU since I've gotten to BYU. So like a freshman and obviously because they're white they just have a different life experience than me and so it was kind of hard for them to understand exactly what I was trying to describe to them they were just kind of confused because like I'm going to a church school like it's supposed to be great which is understandable I mean I would if I didn't go here I probably would think the same thing too but with kind of like this movement that we have kind of started and the things we've talked about and all the interviews we've gotten I think it kind of finally clicked and like my mom posted a like just a you know Facebook moms but she posted just like of how proud of me how proud of me she was and it just really it made me feel warm inside I guess just like she has always raised me to be strong and independent and that's exactly what she said like just keep doing it Kylie like raise your voice and it just made me feel like oh like I am doing something like I finally have like gotten through I guess is the way to put it to my family and like my grandma reached out to me too and these are like two important women in my life so hearing that they were proud of me kind of just made me like giggle inside I guess bubbly (laughs) (laughs) I love your emphasis on the positive and I honor that and I think it's so beautiful so Kylie, you and I were able to have a conversation yesterday about some of these responses and you mentioned that there was a YouTube video where the person compared, I don't know if it was compared you or the Black Menaces, but somehow associated with you or associated you with the biblical figure of Cain. And I just, would you mind talking about that a little bit? I don't know if all listeners know, but in um, broader Christian theology, but very much accepted and adopted and promoted by Mormon theology was this idea that uh, people of African descent descended from the biblical figure of Cain and that when God cursed Cain, it was a curse of dark skin. And that's where, you know, that the dark skin comes from. So the church has recently made attempts to to disavow that doctrine. And so when I heard you say that that was still being thrown and thrown at you, I was really shocked. And maybe that just demonstrates again, my own privilege of still learning how bad it is, because I did not know that I just was surprised to hear that that can still be happening. Do you have a comment on that? Yeah, I think, and from listening to like the man's video, I think it was more of like, like Cain betrayed his brother and all of that context where it was more just like, oh, we're evil and we like betray everybody. I think that's kind of more what he was saying. That's kind of what I'm going to go with because I think it's a little bit better. But I think it still kind of stems from the idea that black people 
like it's a curse to have dark skin or brown skin and I mean that's where it comes from and so it did kind of hurt and which is that's why I said earlier that those comments hurt our feelings because our purpose isn't to make people look bad or to turn people against the church like not at all like that is not our goal our goal is to just raise awareness of the things that we face every single day and that's why I want to be vulnerable and say that it does hurt my feelings and I can't speak for the other black ministers, but we are human and like this is every single day for us. And if I could have people know anything is that it does hurt. And for people to say that like my skin is a curse or even have ideologies that stem from that idea is so it's hateful. I mean, you wouldn't look at a little child or at least I hope and say like, hey, sorry, that's a curse that you're brown. And like just just like I am a child like my inner child and so for that man to even just to allude to that idea is awful and we just hope and that's the awareness that we're raising that's what we hope to change so even we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and let him make that one mistake but moving forward that you can't say stuff like that to us because I am a human and I mean something and you don't necessarily have to know that but I know it and so I'm gonna speak out about it can I add something to that too so I was just thinking, like, with that is, like, like the real experiences that she's mentioning, like, there's something that has happened within the, every t- every year for the last three years, something at BYU has happened that has perpetuated racism in doctrine or racism at BYU or in the church. Like, this year, there was Brad Wilcox. Last year, there was a panel of black women, and a ton of, like, the questions that were submitted anonymously were racist and, like, race baiting and, like, all these different things. And then the year before that, in the Come Follow Me handbook, there it, it's specifically mentioned in the Book of Mormon section that the curse was dark skin and it was like the stem of Cain. And it was written out in the Come Follow Me book. And so I think like if we think that it has gone, it's been, it has, you know, it's, it no longer exists within us, then we should look a little deeper because it, it really is. And we face it a lot. And, um, so it's crazy to see like those ideas that were pushed and created in the early like 1900s, late 1800s to justify the priesthood and temple ban still exist today on a wide scale. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we actually talked about this yesterday, Amy, like you said, I think you said like if you breathe in racism, like it's you're bound to have racist ideas and that's fine, but you have to change those ideas mm-hmm. because you can only control your environment so much. I mean, I have my own biases of things that I probably shouldn't that I'm working on. And I think that's the part that's important is that we have to notice those things. And if we don't know them right away, if someone points it out, be willing to take in that constructive criticism and change. And like, that's the whole purpose. Like we're supposed to make mistakes, but we have to learn from them. And it's almost like we can't learn from slavery and the civil rights movement and lynchings and all of these like horrible things. It's like, oh, it's in the past. And it's like, yeah, it was in the past, but sometimes it's okay to look back in the past so things don't continue to happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, continuing along this line of thinking, I did want to ask you, and I alluded to it a a little bit a minute ago, but so the, the church published online on its website an essay several years ago about the ban on anyone of, of African descent 
any man could not hold the priesthood and no one of African descent could enter the LDS temple. And for our listeners who don't really know the context of that, it's, it's different from a priesthood ban, like in the Catholic church, where there's a tiny little percentage of men who would even want to be priests. And so it's still an unjust practice, but it only affects a few people. In the LDS church, every man is expected to, to hold the priesthood and that impacts everything in, in that man's family, right? Like blessing a baby, performing a baptism, um, lots and lots of daily things that were denied to black men. And the temple is the place where in LDS theology, where you go to receive saving ordinances so you can live in heaven with your family and black women and men, all (laughs) black people were denied those saving ordinances until 1978, which is in my lifetime. So listeners just need to understand like the real, uh, what that really meant. Anyway, sorry for the the long (laughs) context to this, but the church did publish um, an essay talking about the ban. And I felt like it was, some people really celebrated it because it, it acknowledged that that came from racist ideas. For example, the quote that we started with, with Brigham Young, like that he believed in slavery. He said horrible things, which I will not subject you to, but you can look it up. I, listeners, because Kylie and Sebastian already know all this stuff, but for <laughs> listeners, if you want to look it up, it's pretty awful. But anyway, the essay said, basically, those early church leaders had racist ideas like everybody at the time. And so a lot of people felt like, yay, all better. Do you think it's sufficient? Do you feel like they've done sufficient apologizing in order to be able to heal? I'll start because Sebastian has a little bit a stronger opinion than I do on this one. Um no, I don't think they have. I think the essay is like the bare minimum of a start. Like it does put out the idea and it's like, hey, this is what happened. But I think the problem is, is we expect the bare minimum from church leaders and they think like, okay, here's this like essay that if you happen to read it, like, then you know. But if you don't, like, honestly, I think when it did come out, like, I mean, I'm only 21, so I was really young. Like, I wasn't old enough to process really what was being read. Yes, I think an apology needs to happen, and I think they need to come out and just flat out say, like, we do not support racism, and I think if that was said, like, yeah, I would have said a lot of people, like, you know, certain types of people, but that's fine because black people and most minorities have been upset for years, so, like, we please the white man, and we need to move away from that idea that in order to have like peace that the white man needs to Mm. be made like that they need to feel good about themselves because that's what we've done for years and we need to move past that. Um, I think if the church came out and apologized, I think it would make a lot of people happy and I think we could move forward. And I think a lot of, a lot of black people would probably join the church. I mean, I know like my dad isn't a member And I know part of his reasons for that, like, I can't ask a strong black man who's very confident in his identity to join a church that didn't like him within his lifetime. Like, just like you said, Amy, like, why would I do that? Because that's like, so it doesn't even make sense because he's like, well, I can't have all the power or the priesthood power. Like how we say, like, I wouldn't have been able to have that. So 
it's if the church apologized, I think it would ease a lot of hearts and it would just show a vulnerability that it's okay to make mistakes. And like, yes, it was part of the time. Like we can't change that, but we can fix it. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. And I, I don't think the church has done nearly enough at all. I think there's so many things. Um, we've met people. I've met so many people that still believe that the priesthood and temple ban was of God. And that says a lot, like you can have a letter online, but if a ton of members still believe that it was of God, then obviously we haven't done nearly enough, right? Like we need to be talking about, oh yeah, like we don't, not only do we disavow, like they were, they had a lot of racism inside of them. We need to be disavowing that the priesthood and temple ban was not of God. We also need to be like, you know, speaking against factions in our church, like Desnat. I don't know how that is like within the LDS church at all. Can you explain what that is for listeners who don't know? Yeah, Desnat is um, Deseret Nation. They're like an alt-right group inside of the LDS church. And in my opinion, they're despicable because they're very like, imagine if like you were stuck in like 1935. That's kind of how they are. And yeah, so they have all the beliefs of like racism and a ton of sexism and a ton of homophobia. And so like, there's so many things like Kylie was saying, like we leave the people who perpetuate so much violence, you know, both mental, emotional, sometimes physical, um, to be comfortable and happy, but we don't strengthen those that have never been comfortable. Mm -hmm. And so I think so much has to be done. And I'm not, you know, an apostle, but I can tell you, I don't think that was, a, my God didn't do that. So I don't know. I don't know who's did. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Sebastian. Thanks, Kylie. Okay. Another question it, that I wanted to ask is, I had an, a conversation with somebody just a couple of days ago about black, the Black menaces. This is a, a white man, my age, really progressive thinker, really good guy. And he said, he was like, yeah, I really like the work they're doing. I really value it. But I feel like it is pretty aggressive. It feels aggressive to me because they're like cornering people and asking them these questions. And then they're just catching these poor young, you know, 19 year olds off guard. And then the conversation turned into him having a lot of opinions about how you should conduct your work. <laughs> so aside from whether we think any of his points have merit or not, one of my feelings as he was talking was just the tone policing that he was doing, which is like just saying like, okay, I want to hear, I don't know if you've encountered this before, but like, oh, I want to hear what you have to say. Oh, but not like that. Oh, you're getting kind of angry. Oh, tisk tisk. Like now you're sounding kind of shrill. And this is something women get of mm -hmm. all races get also too. Like when even as a white woman who has a lot of privilege in some arenas and others, like don't raise your voice, don't yeah. get angry. And one thing that came to my mind is I was like, you know, and I told him this, I was like, <laughs> You know, a lot of Americans are so proud of our white ancestors who started a revolution against England and literally picked up guns to kill people because of the Stamp Act. Mm -hmm. Like they did tax, <laughs> right? Like they they oh killed gosh. people over 
England infringing on their rights. In the meantime, they were enslaving people in chains, like forced labor, raping women, mm. like treating human beings like, like cattle, like animals. And so now as, as their descendants for us to be like, <laughs> we're so proud of our ancestors that started a revolt over something relatively so small that we would have the, the nerve to say like, oh, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. Like you're getting a little angry. You're getting a watch your tone now. Anyway, yeah, I just told him, I'm like, I just don't think it's our place, honestly, at all to be like, this is how you should do anti-racism work for someone who experiences the pain of racism on a daily basis. That's my thought on, mm -hmm. on, his, on his opining on how you're doing your work. I have a comment. Um, kind of what you're saying. I mean, this whole podcast is about patriarchy. Um, as a woman and being told to, I mean, I have been told so many times that I'm getting an attitude or, I mean, even as a black woman, like just like those two big things about my identity. So I have countless, countless amounts of experience of when I have been upset or simple things like if I'm upset about something and I want to talk about it to that I'm being aggressive or that I'm angry or that I'm loud and that I'm yelling and I come from like my mom is <laughs> she top 10 on level of aggressiveness on just like how she presents herself like everything she does is just like wow and I love that about her but she gets away with it more than I ever have like I have seen my mom be upset about something and she gets to express those emotions but when I do it it's the angry black girl or like coming mm. to BYU like I had the worst like freshman experience like as like a little I mean how we're 18 year old little girl like fresh from California like I'm from California where it's like super diverse and everybody loves each other and I was told to like not be black for a day and I like took a deep breath before I responded because I knew in that moment like this could make or break how I'm perceived in my freshman year like right now and so I took a deep breath and I looked at the girl and I responded the way I wanted to, but I like whispered almost. And I got up and walked away. And I just like, my comment back to her was like, can you not be ignorant for a day? And I walked away and that was it, which is like still really aggressive in a passive aggressive tone because then it turned into like my roommate telling me I needed to apologize to this girl because my response was rude. And I was like, do you guys not understand what she just said to me? And then I like called my mom and like went off and I was like, oh my gosh, da, 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 da. and it turned into a huge thing. And there's more to that story, but not important. I think it's just more this idea that back to like pleasing the white man. I mean, as a woman, I like, Amy, I'm sure you relate to like, we walk around eggshells to not say anything that's too loud or too this or too that. That way, like, I mean, I've done it so guys would like me. Like, I have whispered and, like, even on campus, like, I've been told your friend material, Kylie, not, like, girlfriend material. Like, my personality is so much. And, like, I walk into a room and, like, yes, I'm overpowering sometimes, but that's something I love about myself. And I can't, like, we can't continue to lessen who we are to please someone else and exactly like if you've never experienced racism you can't talk about it like you can't tell me how I should go about talking about it because we've picked this like the the quiet 
nonviolent side and we didn't get anywhere and we've picked the aggressive side and we don't get anywhere. So like whatever works for us is how we should go about it. I think like I was just having this conversation like three days ago. So it's funny that you brought brought it up because we were talking about like, you know, so much. And I would go, I can go on history tangent. I love history. Even on the March on Washington, President Kennedy made John Lewis change his message in his speech because it was too much. Yep. And so like John Lewis is, if you don't know him, please look him up. He's the best. (laughs) And so like that, it's been happening forever. Right, like we want to change the message of black folk because it's too aggressive, too overpowering. But we as black people always have to think about okay, how are we doing this? Martin Luther King was completely nonviolent and also the hated most hated man on in the United States and murdered. And so no matter what we do, let's be real, you're gonna think we're aggressive. And we that's the reason we don't argue back to people. And that's why we don't respond because we have to be very focused on our messaging because we know that we are black and we know the stereotypes around us. And so it's funny when people say we're aggressive because we have so purposefully not been aggressive with people mm-hmm. when we could have been. And we we try to really create uh, create that messaging on purpose. Mm-hmm. And kind of like the comment of you said, like we're cornering them. I wish you guys could see like the approach, like, we are very happy, smiley people mm-hmm. 99% of the time. So, like, here we are with our little cheap Amazon microphone walking up with fat $40. smiles. <laughs> <laughs> we're, like, walking up to people and we're like, hey, you want to be in a TikTok for us? Like, yeah. we approach them and leave them with the same amount of positivity regardless of what they say. Yep. And I think kind of – at least like here's my two cent idea of where this man's thought comes from where it's like oh we're cornering these like young innocent people like these 19 kids i'm a young innocent 21 year old girl like Mm -hmm. i'm still learning so the same way he feels that we're cornering them and asking these questions that are hard this is my life like i don't get the option of answering this question because i have been asked these questions since I was a little kid. I have been called out of my name for being a woman. I think we all can relate to those. I've been called out for being black. And so if so the the sympathy and the grace that we were wanting to extend to these young white kids is not extended to us. Yeah. And so I get what he is saying and like yes it's a protectiveness, but who's going to protect me? Like who is going to make my life easier and create this lovely world of ignorance that they get to live in. Hmm. And I do have to say for listeners who haven't seen the videos, just watch them because you can see, and you do, I mean, you ask the person if they want to be interviewed, right? Like they (laughs) Every single time. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So no one's being cornered. No one's being coerced. You can walk away. Um, And you do, I feel like you do go, like you bend over backwards to just, be respectful and kind and 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 really I think it is so powerful because you just let it stand you don't overly praise answers you like you don't argue with answers that you don't you're just positive like thanks cool 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 and move on to the next you know whatever you just let it stand as it is okay I never read comment sections ever because like I can feel my like blood pressure just rising to dangerous levels (laughs) when I do but I imagine since people are horrible, <laughs> there are, I mean, people are wonderful, but they can be <laughs> yeah. horrible. Um, 
I imagine you guys get a lot of hate in the comment sections, but do I'm just trying to think like as the devil's advocate for this one point that my friend was making, are there, do these young kids who give answers, do they get bullied in the comment sections? Do um, you know? Okay. I think, so kind of like back to, we give people, like if we ask you the question and you don't want to answer it, if they take a second, we say like, Hey, you don't have to answer it. Like, cause mm. if you've noticed, so like most of the videos, so every person is asked the question and then there is like a delay. Like it might just be like the next person is just their response. Like the question's not asked again. So they have time to think, they have time to ask, they have time to say no, answer the question and then turn around and be like, actually don't post that. And we respect that. However, mm. once our videos are posted, it is a hard balance because we can't control what people say on the internet. Most of the comments, because we do kind of scan them for that purpose, like we don't want anyone to be bullied or like, I mean, bullying in general is awful and we don't condone that. And so we scan the comments to make sure that nothing is like super direct, like not telling people to unalive themselves or like anything that could affect that person to the point of not a good place. But we also... The purpose is to create awareness. So if we filter everything, then nothing's going to change. So it is a hard balance. I mean, we've had people reach out um, and ask for things to be removed. And we do kind of have like a way of going about that. Because we don't want people to hate themselves because of the answer they gave. Like, we just hope that it creates awareness. It is hard. The only thing I wanted to add is very quickly is just like, um, because we knew that it can be a problem potentially. And, and like we do read some of the comments, right? Like people definitely talk about it. That's for sure. Um, but we did, we made a video that talked about like, we don't like cyberbullying, like, etc. has like 3 million views. So a lot of people have seen it. Um, and we, that's like our first video that you'll see after that's our second video that you'll see on our page. So we try to like show that, like, you know, idea, whatever your idea might be, belief might be like, we don't want to be as harmful as those who hurt us, right? Mm. And so we try to, yeah, it's a hard one though. It is difficult. Yeah. I mean, I know we have deleted because like, because it's our video, we have control over the comments. So like there has been a few comments that have been deleted if they're like super like, okay, that's a yeah. no. Regardless, like we, exactly what Sebastian's saying, like we don't want to extend the same hate that we receive, even if it's not coming from our mouths and even if we don't agree with it. So like if it's something like super not okay, we delete it. TikTok obviously has guidelines. So like you can't say certain things. We kind of just try to go off that. And we are more than willing to like talk to the people in the videos, which is why we don't say their names. We don't like we walk away not even knowing their names most of the time, yeah. unless mm -hmm. they say it. We don't tag them. So we try to protect them as much as possible. But there's obviously so much to that. Well, there's so much to that. And what I'm thinking, too, is like no one could expect you to spend the time it would take. Like you would need to take that on as a job and be paid for it to, to moderate all of those comments. And I'm just thinking, too, um, for for listeners who are kind of wrestling with this, I'm just thinking of things that and, and for people who have listened to my podcast all the way through, I did an episode on LGBTQ history and the way that I was raised and the homophobia that I inhaled from the environment around me that became a part of me without my challenging it or examining it until a point in my life 
where I was like, oh my gosh, what, mm-hmm. what have I imbibed from my environment? And, and it was a, it's a really hard to like make a reckoning with that and to realize like I have caused harm. Like I, I'm not at fault for what I inherited, but I do have a responsibility for what I do going forward. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking like any one of those people who was interviewed had been taught by their parents and their church and their environment a certain thing, they say that thing they'd been taught, then they have the opportunity and the responsibility to be like, oh my gosh, I said this thing in this TikTok video and then it made me think. And now I think this thing is different than I did before. I learned, I can grow, I can become better. And then that could be a really awesome opportunity for them to go forward as a changed person. I just know that I'm grateful for those experiences it might be tricky for them if it was super public and lots of people saw it because that's humbling. But then they could post their own video on TikTok and be like, guys, I'm the girl in the video and listen to what mm-hmm. I learned. You know what I mean? That could be um, an opportunity. Anyway, it's not what I'm saying. In my opinion, it can't be your responsibility to do all of that work of like the behind the scenes stuff. Okay. One other question I had was I noticed that one of your very first videos was not about race. It was about the LGBTQ community. And then I noticed that you're, I think you're currently doing a fundraiser in preparation Mm -hmm. for Pride Month, right? Um, So I just want you to talk for a second about how your work is connected to the LGBTQ community. So kind of back to what you were saying, Amy, like we all have our own like bad idea biases just because of how we were raised um there were a few that I had like I have a uncle who's gay and so I've been like my family is very accepting of the LGBTQ plus community however there are certain things that I have learned and inherited that weren't the best that I had to take time to reflect on and kind of reevaluate why I thought that way and move past that and I'll be vulnerable and say that because we all do um As far as the LGBTQ plus community, I think one thing I've realized is, yes, BYU can be an unsafe place for black students. However, I don't fear for my life. And I'm not. And I think when we say unsafe, it's more like it's not like a mentally safe place. Um, It can be really taxing. However, for the queer community, it is an unsafe space, as in like fearing for your life, Mm -hmm. because we Most people can kind of agree that like racism isn't okay and like hating someone for the color of their skin is not okay. However, the agreement on sexuality is like we can still, people still get away with saying homophobic things or calling people, I mean, even like saying the queer community, like that's something that they have taken back and so that's okay to say. But even then, like being called names that like that, that aren't safe and that make people feel like they're less than and so I think kind of because I don't think I've really thought about it until now I think our first question was about them because we want to raise awareness that people can cause like physical harm to these people for the just being themselves and so kind of like part of like why we're fundraising for them is because we want to continue to create safe places for them because they don't always have that. And BYU isn't that place. And so our fundraiser is to have like, to support places in Utah that are close to BYU so they can go there and feel like I can be a hundred percent of who I am. And even in the church, like that's such a big issue. Like 
I think people should be able to love who they want to love regardless of what I think because it doesn't affect me. And like, I actually had a conversation. I took psychology of gender in that class really made me think. And my professor just said, if we're asking people to take away like one of the most basic human necessities, which is like touch and like compassion and love, that love needs to be extended to them. And you better be kind and you better, I don't care what you believe in, like you need to do whatever it takes to love them because that's not fair and that's our whole purpose is to create fairness and equality for everyone I don't know what are your thoughts this one makes me like want to cry and like be angry at the same time <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah um the queer like the, the the queer community is one of the most hated I think they receive so much hate especially at BYU they it's it's like one of the most unsafe campuses as rated by <laughs> different websites um for that community and i think the reason like we we talk about them rather frequently is because us five individuals care a lot about them and we care about equality for all groups of people um and so we're going we're not only here to make black lives better we want to make every life that suffers from marginalization and ostracization in of any kind better and whether that's one little percent or whether that's feeling seen or whatever it is, like we're going to do our best to show that, like, okay, you also are seen now. Because I know a lot of people, a part of that community who have reached out and are like, wow, like, thank you for making me feel seen. Thank you for showing how it is for me here. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, like that is a huge step because they, they haven't been seen. They have, they only can have one authorized, like authorized by BYU club for the LGBTQ plus community, right? They're so restricted. The same way like black people were like tone policed or whatever, like so are they, you they know? They can't wear like we can't wear rainbow yeah. on campus. Like little That's, like colors. They got people got kicked off of campus for wearing rainbow colors You're as kidding. part of like a small demonstration to support the the LGBTQ plus community. Oh gosh. Kicked off of campus, that. physically removed off of the campus because of that. Like that that's unsafe that like if there's unsafe that's unsafe (laughs) wow so speaking of intersecting systems of oppression this podcast is called breaking down patriarchy so we're just going to shift gears really quick at the end and talk about how patriarchy and white supremacy intersect and i just want to ask each of you about ways that you've experienced patriarchy and i'm actually going to read a quote by my hero, Bell Hooks, she said this. She said, white women and black men have it both ways. Mm. They can act as oppressor or be oppressed. Mm-hmm. Black men may be victimized by racism, but sexism allows them to act as exploiters and oppressors of mm-hmm. women. White women may be victimized by sexism, but racism enables them to act as exploiters and oppressors of black people. Both groups have led liberation movements that favor their interests and support the continued oppression of other groups. Yes. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I have read that quote so many times and done so a lot of introspection about it. And for listeners, just thinking about if you're trying to wrap your head around it, just think of in 2020, that incident in Central Park in New York, right? Amy Cooper, this white woman, all she has to do is call the police and say, there's a black man threatening me. 
And maybe she's a woman with not much power in some context, but she can marshal the forces of white supremacy because they pedestalize a white woman. And so she can just be like, it's a black man. And she has a lot of power over him. And then conversely, um, if I were to be married to a black man, then in my marriage, if it were prior to some changes that happened in the temple recently, he would still have you know, what he thought of as patriarchal, righteous dominion over me, right? And so in that context, I mean, before 1990 in the temple, a woman had to, to promise to obey her husband when she got married. Obey. <laughs> and so in that context, it you know, then he would have power, right? And in, in all marriages, that's that's really tricky in a patriarchal tradition that there are a lot of men who think they have the right to tell their wives what to do. Anyway. <laughs> I want to hear your thoughts about that first from Kylie and then from Sebastian. Um, I don't know who said it, but the most hated person is a black woman. And yes. Oh, I knew I liked him. I think it's, I mean, this is something that's like been an issue more recently in my life because I come from a very independent mother, someone who, I mean, she is white, but she is like, very strong in her independence and like her and my dad's relationship like my dad does not tell her what to do what she why nothing like there is no he has no control over that of how my mom dresses or whatever I think kind of like my most recent experience with like where I really realized those things um so kind of I don't know I'll get into this a little bit because I think it makes more sense so my previous relationship was very toxic but one thing I did notice were like the comments about me being black from like friends and like there would be times where I was like does it bother you or like his family like a Hispanic family were like oh she's black and I was like yeah what's the point and just kind of like the control he had over me or that he felt that he had over me like I, I wasn't I like you can't see me but like the quotes of like I wasn't allowed to wear certain things and like I wasn't allowed to say certain things or to speak over him and like like I said I'm from like a very independent mother so for a man to tell me that I couldn't do something I was like oh my gosh like I don't know who you think you are and it it just like but eventually I submitted very quickly and it became very mentally taxing to me and like I was raised in the LDS church and I'm still very involved and so like I dress modestly give or take a few things and so for someone to tell me that like I wasn't allowed to wear something made me feel like very uncomfortable with myself and like I already had to grow into loving my body so to be told that I wasn't allowed to wear certain things because of the body that I have because I am black so like naturally black women have a little bit more curves and so my curves were an issue because people looked at me and like I can't help that I mean, I can just be confident in who I am. And so learning, kind of coming out of that and like reevaluating like, oh, like that, the oppression I faced because I was a woman. And then on top of that, because I was a black woman. So then I was naturally certain stereotypical things, I guess, like loud and curvy and I have this and I have that. And so, or my hair, like, I don't know. I have so many experiences. Like my hair was an issue because I wear my hair natural. And it wasn't fancy enough for certain things. And he would ask me to do certain things like 
things that my dad never even asked me to do. So it's like, if you're not my dad, you have no, like, I just wasn't raised that way. And so it made me so uncomfortable and kind of lose my identity. And like, that's kind of something I've been working on these last like few months is to really reevaluate who I am and to come into like a new confidence. Like I was confident before and then I lost it. And so being confident in the fact that a man can't tell me who I am and like what I should act. And if he wants to, that's fine, but I'm going to go over here and you can stay on the other side. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And so I think it's hard as like black women where everything about us is sexualized. I grew up in a very predominantly white area for the church. Um, so like certain things that I wore were inappropriate, but my friend could wear something more revealing and get away with it because she didn't have, I guess, I don't even know if I can say this, but like I have like my chest, like my boobs, like she was allowed to wear stuff that I wasn't. And I, it just never, it never fully made sense to me. And so, and then realizing that like my black friends had the same issues, like shorts, like the length of our shorts was always a problem or like just everything you could possibly imagine that you could pick out about a woman is talked about for a black woman every single thing we do or white women do the same exact thing and it's cute and it's trendy like the new trend of like wearing um like bandanas or like head wraps I couldn't tell you how many girls on BYU's campus that I see do that and it's so cute and it's so stylish but I was nervous to wear a head wrap like to like to wrap my hair and then like wear hoops so terrified of the looks that I got that day or I have like mm. one of my favorite shirts I actually wore it yesterday it says black girl magic and the stares that I get from that are like it's so demeaning and it hurts a little bit but like I have to just push through I guess and like walk in some confidence that sometimes I fake but I think every black woman who's listening or just everywhere can relate to like anything we do is wrong and it's hard because it shouldn't be that way so I could talk all day about this thanks Kylie thanks for highlighting that I mean it's it's encapsulated in the title from Francis Beale the double jeopardy to Mm -hmm. be black and female that you have both layers so thank you I'm so sorry and it's discouraging too because you know we did that episode on double jeopardy with Raina who was at BYU with me and to hear how little it's improved since then is really disheartening. I'm really grateful for you sharing that so that people have to confront that and realize how hard it still is. Yeah, thank you. I think it's I think it is a conversation that continuously needs to happen and making people uncomfortable like sorry, I feel uncomfortable all day. So, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Kylie. Okay, Sebastian. As a man, as a black man, I've been an advocate for people for a long, long, long time. And that's kind of like my personality. But I've also had to introspectively look at myself a lot and be like, okay, why do I feel weird if like I'm spoken over, right? Or like, why do I feel weird if X, Y, Z, you can continually fill in the blank. I mean, that's something that I've like had to work with myself inside of like, okay, let's look at this. Um, Are you continuously speaking over woman? Are you mansplaining? Are you... I don't know. There's a lot of things. And like, as a loud person, I do a lot of things. And so I have to look at myself a little bit more, I feel like, because I'm like, okay, I like to talk a lot. 
So like take a back seat, stop talking because I'm going to talk regardless. So I like wait a little bit more sometimes like little stuff that I know like has like a longer, a bigger effect than I may realize, right? Because I think too much we think about intention and not like output. Um, and that's what we need to think about. We can't think about the intention behind our actions because our intentions don't matter if you're still hurting people the same. Um, and so as a man, I really try to think about, okay, like how will this affect the woman next to me, white or black? And then as a black man, I really try to advocate a ton for black women in every arena that I'm in. Um, like speaking up, if I'm around pure men and they say something, I'm like, okay, let's talk. <laughs> I'm like, wait, okay. Don't talk about women or black women. Don't like call them out of their names. Don't um, like, I may be a guy with you, but I'm like the, I don't, I'm not a very like masculine man. Like I don't subscribe to a lot of masculinity because it's not me. I wore pink Crocs. Like that's just me. It's like toxic. Masculinity. Yeah. I just like Sebastian yeah. and my top two personality traits are the least common for men. And so, like, I'm happy being who I am. I'm very, like, very myself. And so I think the more you can advocate for women as a man in spaces they're not at, the better that you know you that is. Because men will say things, horrible things, when women aren't there, and also horrible things when women are there. So you have to catch them at all times um, and fight against all kind of patriarchy and sexism that exists. Um, so when people say stuff or like when they like, oh, this woman is, this girl is this or that or this. I'm like, okay, bro, look at yourself first. So look at yourself and then come back to me and we can talk more. So yes, like I know times when I have been the oppressor, like I can remember very vividly times when I've made so many mistakes. I'm like, uh, uh, like bad time for myself. Um, but like I use those things constantly to reflect on how I was versus like how I need to be better. And sometimes I try, you know, to humble myself because I know I'm a, I can be very prideful. Um, and I know I'm also a know-it-all, the two bad, you know, combinations. Um, but I try to like ask like, okay, like how can I phrase that better? And so I feel like to use the experiences, look at yourself and really look at like what you've done wrong. Cause I have so many of them specifically with sexism and see how you're holding up patriarchy um, and then determine how you can be better. From that mm. so that's all that's, that's awesome that's it yeah that's great i really specifically appreciated hearing you say like realizing how much power you have that you don't even know you have that's been something for me as even in my marriage talking with my husband and and him not realizing and him kind of almost thinking that we were kind of that we were regarding each other as equals and even though intellectually I always did, and this maybe you relate to Kylie because you said you were surprised at yourself in that past relationship at how fast you actually submitted to it, even though you wouldn't have thought that you would have done that. I don't know if I'm understanding you correctly, but yeah, exactly that though. But that I've felt that too. Like in some ways I'm so strong, but then these dynamics that would happen in the marriage where I, and people know my husband too. They, everybody knows he's awesome and, and wonderful. And this is part of like how I've internalized sexism and I've internalized patriarchy where he'd give an opinion pretty forcefully because he's a forceful guy, <laughs> expecting that because I'm a super strong woman, I would offer my opinion equally strongly. 
not realizing that I had been so socialized to make him happy as a man. I'd been so conditioned to, to make peace and just go along with stuff and, and to regard a man as my superior. He didn't realize like that he could help me out by stepping back and giving me more space and being like, is that really what you think? Like, and it, so anyway, that's just, I, I could relate very much to that. And I'm really grateful. And I think And this has a parallel, I think, also in issues of race, in all kinds of unjust structures where people who think they're, who value being colorblind, for example, Mm -hmm. and they'll be like, what's the problem? Like, I, I'm not a racist, first of all, like they don't think of themselves as being racist and they don't realize that the way that they're behaving is the life that they've lived is different. It's not the same. And that somebody might have internalized I do it with Sebastian all the time. Like, I mean, Sebastian's a very loud, confident person. And like, I am most of the time. And we'll start talking about things and we might disagree. And there's times where I'm like, okay. And he's like, talk. And I'm like, no. And it's like, that's just like, it is that internalized patriarchy because it's been my whole life. So even if I wasn't raised that way, I see it on TV and I hear about it. And it's constantly, I mean, like even commercials and billboards, I mean, it's everywhere. Well, that's all I have. And I just want to thank you so much, Sebastian Stewart Johnson and Kylie Shepard from The Black Menaces. I learned so much from you today, and I know our listeners will just so appreciate your time and everything you shared. I'm so grateful you were here. Well, thanks for having us. I enjoyed it. Yes. Huge thanks again to Kylie Shepard and Sebastian Stewart Johnson and to all of the Black Menaces for their incredibly important work. For listeners who are interested, you can, of course, find the Black Menaces on TikTok and on Instagram, and I highly recommend that you do. Thank you as well to Sam Preminger for our production, Brianna Jovan for our editing, and Lindsay Allabest for our social media. And thank you listeners as well for tuning in week after week and for helping new listeners find the show. Make sure to join us again next week when we'll be kicking off our celebration of Pride Month. All month long, we'll be featuring voices from the LGBTQIA plus community to help us learn how patriarchy affects their lives and what we can all be doing to dismantle these harmful systems. Next Tuesday, we'll get our Pride celebration started with an interview between Chloe Agin and Lakshan Lingam, two young queer activists who help us examine the importance of representation, how patriarchy tries to control queer identity, and their own journeys to become their truest selves. Join us for this enlightening discussion next time on Breaking Down Patriarchy. Mm-hmm.